Psalms 21 through 6. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice, Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Times of trouble. Call on the Lord. That's a wonderful thing. Think of... uh, Dale and I were talking, well, we, we talked a lot. It's been 48 years we've been talking. <laughs> and I enjoy listening. Uh, no, she enjoys listening, too. <laughs> that was close. <clears throat> so, but some of you saw in the bulletin about Josh Woodhams, a friend of ours, and Mary, the mother, had contacted us just before we went to Cleveland. We were hoping to go see the family, but they were down in Knoxville because their son had disappeared. Well, they found him, and he's uh, no longer with us. He's with the Lord now. So we're not sure what the details are, what happened, but sad stuff, trouble in the world. Um, We uh, got a notice from a friend who lives in Florida, an elderly person they found in the bottom of the pool. And they rescued her, you might say, got her out, got she's on life support, but no one's home. She's most likely gone already, but the machines are keeping the organs pumping. It's getting harder and harder to tell when someone actually dies anymore, the way the hospitals keep them alive. So, times of trouble. We uh, probably could all tell a few more stories like that of things that have gone on. I just... Lane came in earlier and said Elka had a Blaine breed. Phil comes in and said Elka passed away. So, you know, she worked at the restaurant here in town. Trouble. And, you know, that's kind of what David's been talking about in these psalms. But we have a God who hears and a God who sees. And like last week we talked about it's like, why, why, why? And we're not really sure sometimes, but it's in these times when we know that we have to trust him because we don't have any other answers that really work. And sometimes, and if you're anything like I am, you'll wonder if even the answer I do have in Christ doesn't really work because in, sometimes it feels like we're just hanging on by a thin red line you know, and does anybody else feel that way sometimes? About so we went to see the movie Sound of Freedom. Has anyone seen that movie yet? I highly recommend that everyone see it. 
you know, they, they had rescued some kids from sex trafficking, basically, on this island. And after it was over, the kids were kind of doing some hand jive stuff, you know. And uh, Tim, the, the CIA agent guy or the home security guy, asked one of the locals, says, what, are they, what is that sound? What's going on? He said, that's the sound of freedom, that these kids went back to playing just hand, games, you know. Because they're children, it's uh, it's quite a story. I'd highly recommend you go see it. There's trouble in the world. That's just a fact. Now, some some verses you can just read and take off, and you know, Psalms especially. Sometimes when the psalmist writes, um, you almost need to know the background story in order to get what he's really talking about. Because if you don't know the background story, then you wonder, like, oh, that was a good psalm. Trust God. Amen. We pray. And he's good. You know, mercy, grace. And we move on and go about our day. But we don't know what really is being said. So I've got a few stories and a few other Bible verses. And at the very end, I'm just going to run through the verses real quick. So this, this will be interesting. <clears throat> I promise. So, first verse, Ecclesiastes 9. Now, Solomon, when he wrote this, it was like things under the sun, like here on earth. This is how things are as I see it. And he said, The race isn't always to the swift and the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, rich, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. In other words, it's a luck of the draw. I don't care. Here on earth, it feels like sometimes some people win, some people lose. It's not a zero-sum game, or is it? But anyway, if you win, someone else loses. I guess it is zero-sum. I don't know. But look at the says there. The race isn't to the swift, and it, the, the strong don't always win the battle. Because stuff happens. And, there's winners and losers. And the person that you expect to be the strongest and the winner doesn't necessarily always win. And it just happens that way. Recently, uh, I've been reading a book called The Taking of Jemima. A great book. It's history. 1776 to, or 75 to 1778. Jemima Boone was outside Boonesboro, and the Shawnees grabbed her and two of her friends and dragged her off into the wilderness. They're on the western edge of the frontier. And a bunch of people from the Boonesboro then, Daniel included, went after her, and they rescued her. And that happened around the 5th of July, 1776. Can you think of anything else that was going on? The declaration had been signed and delivered at the other side of the continent, practically. These people had no idea, but it was all in play at the same time. <clears throat> Here's something that happened. A few years later, September 7th, thereabout, of 1778, 440 Shawnee Indians under the chief Blackfish decided to attack Boonesboro. So they made their way down at the uh, Fort Detroit. Anybody know where Detroit is? Well, there was a fort apparently there. 
and the British had that, and the British were working with the Shawnee to attack the western frontier. They put on a nine-day siege. There was 440 warriors against somewhere around 50, 60 men, plus women and children. And they held out for nine days. <clears throat> and the last day of the battle, late at night, there was this rush on the fort with torches and flames, and it was just going to be the end of it. The chief had had enough. But during the nine days, it went kind of like this. The Indians started digging a tunnel at the bank of the river, and they were going to tunnel under to the fort and break up through and get inside. And, uh, but it started to rain, so the tunnel flooded and caved in. That didn't work. They had been shooting arrows with fire and bags of gunpowder attached to it, which was kind of like an incendiary bomb. And it would hit the wooden shingle roofs, and it would burn up the arrow and explode, which would spread the fire. And the people inside, they just took the shingles down from inside and put the fires out. But it also rained so hard that the wood would no longer ignite because the water had soaked up, the wood had soaked up all the water. And so that last night of the big raid, one of the settlers who had been on the outside and couldn't get back in from a distance figured it's over. So he went to the neighboring fort and told them Boonesboro's fallen, the Indians have killed everybody. Well, the next day, they rode down there to see what was happening, helped clean up the mess, and there the settlers were. They were all in good shape, and the war had ended in the middle of the night. This is odd, but it sounds like something out of the Bible. But two riders had come into Blackfish and delivered a message, and nobody knows what it was, but immediately Blackfish packed up and left. They think maybe Frontiersmen had raided some of the other Indian villages, and he was going to go and protect them. He figured Boonesboro's done anyway, so they quit. Isn't that odd? Does that sound like a Bible story? Yeah. And uh, so they, they, uh, they just left, and the, the whole town was saved, so to speak. However, there was... So in this book I was reading, and this is a sentence I wanted to share with you because it goes along with what this psalm is talking about. Does anybody here know what telos is? We, we talked about it on Wednesday night, the Greek word telos. It has to do with divine purposes of God. And he uses that word in here, teleological. It's based on that, the purposes of God. So here's the sentence. In line with national... Teleological rhetoric of the creation of America was sanctioned from on high. Daniel Boone and other settlers on the ground voiced a belief that divine intervention delivered them from death. As with the other nine days of warfare, the Indian troops did not end up penetrating beyond the gates of the fort yeah, that final night. Put the next slide up, Bryce. I think there's a. that's kind of what the fort looked like. The next morning, the Indians were all gone. Divine providence. The purposes of God. And what's really interesting about that is that this modern historian is saying that the idea that America was created under the grace of God is a thing. It's a real thing. And he's spreading that. America, America, God has shed his grace on thee. Well... I think it's pretty clear that the race isn't always to the swift and the battle always to the strong. 
they had to be outnumbered 10 to 1, 8 to 1, whatever the math figures out to be. So in our troubles, day by day, where's our faith? Is God able? Is the king still on the throne forever and ever? In Psalm 10, we talked about last week a personal call to trust. In uh, verse 13, it says, Why do the wicked renounce God? And we know they do, and it's amazing, isn't it, that people would not look to God? And what does it cost to put your faith and trust in Him? And why not? 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. And 17, you have heard the desire of the humble. God has heard the desire of the humble. God will prepare their hearts and he will cause their, he will cause his ear to hear. Something like that anyway. God is involved. Well, the question comes to us and do we trust him when the why questions come up? Do we trust him when the trouble comes up? And the troubles come day after day after day, like waves on the shore. They just keep coming. Now, if Psalm 10 is about personal trust, you could say that Psalm 20 then is more about corporate trust. It's about the whole group of the Israelites trusting God. And in Psalm 20, we have this record of worship that occurred. And it seems like, from everything I've read, it occurred in between two battles, a smaller battle and a really big battle. And at some point, they had figured they had won the battle, and they were praising God and thanking the king and worshiping and all that. And that's what this psalm was about. But I, I want to show you a little more detail to it. But here's another verse, uh, Psalm 20, verse 7. You know, It says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. And, and it goes on to say, but we'll trust in the name of the Lord our God. But So the question comes for us, is, do we trust God or do we trust the armies of men? Now, the armies of men could represent a lot of things in our life, too. Or are we trusting other things other than God, just so we can apply it to our own lives because we're not a military operation here? Except that as a church, we've been given an assignment and that could be viewed as a military assignment, in a sense, serving the great king to share the gospel, share the good news. So there is that. But do we trust God or the armies of man to protect us? Psalm 33, David wrote this, similar words again. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver by its great strength. Behold! The eye of the Lord is on him who fear him, on those who fear him, and on those who hope in his mercy. 10.17 talked about the humble having his ear, and this verse talks about uh, those who fear him have his eyes. So the question then is, is he standing afar off? As Psalm 10 asked, hit the next one, Bryce. Is he standing afar off? Is he really hiding in a time of trouble? Where is God in the calamity that we're experiencing even today? Where is he? Or are we trusting God or are we trusting in the armies or our own devices, our own plans to try to deliver us from our own troubles? That becomes the question. And even as a church, as a body of believers, if this Psalm 20 is a corporate thing, then we as a church 
Are we as a church trusting our God to grow the church, to see souls saved and one converted to Jesus Christ? Kind of like Gerald was talking about. Is the Lord doing that? And what is my responsibility as a servant of the great king? So those are some of the questions we'll be looking at. So some trust in chariots. Well, who are these people? These chariot trusters, these horse people. Well, let's take a look at the history. Because this is really a wild story. This is the craziest story you're going to hear tonight. It's even better than Boonesboro. But Second Samuel 10, and it reads like this. Well, the people of Ammon saw the Syrians, saw that the Syrians were fleeing. They also fled before Abishai. Abishai was Joab's brother. They were basically generals in King David's army. And they entered the city, and Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. When the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. Then Hadad-Ezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river. He's kind of mad. He's I'm going to get some of my other friends here. We're going to round up some of the other kings from the other towns. We're going back in here. We're going to stomp Israel. What kind of a slap in the face is this? We're not putting up with that. So Hadad-Ezer, he's pumped. He is militarily charged, and he's going after King David now. So he got the boys from the other side of the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobak, the commander of Hadad-Ezer's army, went before them. When it was told David, pause right there. Now, I think this is the place where Psalm 20 comes in. They have won the first part of the battle, and David thinks it's over. Joab, the commander, he leads the troops back to Jerusalem. They're taking a break. And Hadad-Ezer, he's ornery. He said, I ain't taking it. So he's gone across the river and rounded up some more of those Syrians over there. He says, we're going to go in there and stomp them. So that's, that's where they, they are. And I think that's the spot where Psalm 20 shows up. So we'll come back to Psalm 20 in a minute and go over it. But you need to hear the rest of the story. So David gathered all Israel, crossed over Jordan, and came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed how many chariots? And how many horses? Hello. We're talking. This is a mess, folks. This is huge. 40,000 horse cavalry? 700 Tanks, you know, it's wild. And Shobach, the commander of their army, he died there also. And when all the kings, basically the guys from the other side of the river, who were servants to Hadad-Ezer, saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. So the race isn't always to the swift, the battle isn't always to the strong. And a lot of people forget that reality. And hopefully we as a church don't forget it, even though some days we're in the midst of a lot of struggles, individually and as a group, um, to try to keep in mind what this is all about. Now, just out of curiosity, does anybody know who Ammon is? Anybody? Remember the story about Ammon? I think I got the next slide. I'll show you. 
both the daughters of Lot were uh, with child by their father. Because Sodom and Gomorrah had received all that hailfire and brimstone, they thought the world had come to an end. So they wanted to procreate and save mankind. And the only way they figured to do that was with their father. So the ladies ended up having children. One was called Moab, and the other was called Ammon. That's the short version of it. And when you watch Ammon and Moab throughout the Old Testament, you have to remember these are the children by Lot's daughters, and Lot is Abraham's nephew. They're all relatives over there. That, that whole thing, they're all relatives. And so David, his great-great-grandmother, Ruth, where was she from? Moab. So you see, when you read about David running back and forth to Moab, he wasn't necessarily going where he wasn't welcome because that was they were all relatives of his because that's where Ruth was from. So it just, now does that change your life? That's history right there. It's interesting though. Come on, back me up. Is it interesting? Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. Verse 1, chapter 20. We think, from everything I've read, the commentaries say that the first few verses are the people praying. So here's the prayer that they're making, and most all of them feel it was after the first victory. And so they're kind of in between that big one that's still coming. But may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. You know, and, and the God of Jacob is the one that Jacob wrestled with by the brook the angel of the Lord. And uh, so his struggle, his personal struggles with God caused Jacob to walk differently. He basically had a limp from them then on. But they changed his name. It changed his nature. It changed the way he viewed life and the world and his own brother Esau. It changed everything in his life once he saw the Lord. Now, the stories all fit the same pattern. And I'll guarantee you that once you've seen the Lord, it'll change your life. Once you recognize that Jesus Christ is God and is the only Savior, it changes everything, the way we walk, the way we live. It should change it all. Verse 2, And he may he send you help from the sanctuary. The you is King David. May he, God Almighty, send David help from the sanctuary. And strengthen you, King David, out of Zion, that when the Lord sends you out of the holy mountain, that you will be strengthened by God in your efforts. So they're really praising God, the Lord Jehovah, to answer in the day of trouble and to give David the strength he needs to lead the great nation. He may remember, the he being God, they're asking God to remember all Offerings and accept yours, your offerings and your burnt sacrifices. Selah, think about it. So, please God, don't forget that David has made a lot of sacrifices. He's a pretty committed Jewish guy. That's basically what it's saying. Well, they weren't asking God to give David special favor because he was doing all this stuff. It's basically... How would anybody know David was committed to God unless he was doing 
what God expected. The offerings and the sacrifices have more to do with David's commitment to his God. And it was evidence that he was committed to God. And so they're asking God to remember David's commitments to him. Please, God, remember the commitments that David has made to you. You are his God. From the time he was a shepherd boy, you know, when he went against the lion and the bear, he was trusting you when he went against the really big guy that couldn't see so well, the Goliath dude, you know. He was trusting you. And this has always been David's commitment, his sacrifice, his offering. And it wasn't just in the temple. It was on the battlefield as well. It was his time, his talent, and his treasures. It was the whole thing. His whole life was wrapped up in this God. And so they're asking God to remember. Now, the old Hebrew word for remember is to be masculine. I know that's a toxic statement, but it's to be masculine. Man up, oh God. Call to memory. And to be masculine is to be a remembering one. To be a true man is to be a remembering one. You say, well, how's that work? Well, ask any buck, ask any coyote, ask any lion who marks their trail. Ask if they remember. You shoot at a deer in a certain area, a buck especially, they will not come back for a long time to that very spot because they're male. They're the remembering ones. And men should be remembering ones. And so Solomon, when he ends his uh, book of Ecclesiastes, what does he say? Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Man up while you're still young. Remember. And he's speaking, of course, to his own son. So they're asking God to remember that David is loyal and committed to God. Well, it begs the question, doesn't it? Doesn't it call us into question? Like, uh, what type of commitments have I made to the Lord Jesus with my own life? Is my faith in such a way? Is my heart commitment to Christ in such a way that it has changed the way that I live? That the people have seen it in David that he is committed to this God. If I truly believed in the Lord Jesus, how am I living that out on a day-to-day -day basis? Offerings, sacrifices, Selah, think about it. And that's, that's the challenge for us. And am I committed to the gospel? Am I committed to my Savior? Well, they went on with their prayer in verse 4. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purposes. May he, God, grant you, King David, according to your, David's heart, all the plans that you're making. Now, this is a pretty popular verse. This is one of those verses where people will take it, turn it into a promise, hold God accountable to keep the promise, and then get depressed when it doesn't work the way they thought it should have a faith crisis. And I'll take this verse. You can Google Psalm 20 and, you, and then go to image. You'll get hundreds of these. 
Because what that says is God will give you anything your little heart desires and anything you want to do, God will bless you. Right? That's what it says. It's right there in black and white. But to do that, to make it say that, you have to rip it out of the context. Because what's going on here is a worship service where the people are saying to God Almighty that we're asking that you would bless King David in his effort to serve you and serve us in fighting the next battle. Does that sound like the desires of my heart? No, it's not. It's, it's not a prayer whereby we get the candy man in the sky to do everything we think he should do for us. It is a, a verse that's talking about the people asking the Lord God Almighty to help David stay focused on his commitments to his God to serve God and serve others well. That fits the pattern of the whole New Testament as well. And it's what we should be doing. But don't be careful when you take a single verse out of context and try to turn it into some big promise and then hold God accountable to keep his promise to give me everything I want. And then when it doesn't work, because God would have to bless our idolatry, basically, and he's not going to do that, he can't do that. And so when it doesn't work the way we figured the verse said it should, then we get all depressed and we have a faith crisis. So we, we're not trusting God anymore. And the, and the whole thing was wrong from the beginning. When the why questions show up, with or without an answer, trust God anyway. Why? Because the battle isn't always to the swift. And the, or the race isn't always so swift in the battle to the strong because God is in the mix somewhere. Come what may, we have to trust him. Just hang on. Hold your faith in line. And then they said, we will rejoice in your salvation. That would be God's salvation and in the name of our God. And we will set up banners. May the Lord fulfill King David's petitions. And David is about to go out and fight another battle. Because Hadad Ezer has gathered some fresh troops on the other side of the river. And David says, well, we're going to clean this up too. And I'm sure with a sense of humility, they're having this service and this psalm and this prayer meeting to call upon God to protect their king as he goes out. Because their salvation is in God. And the salvation that God is providing normally comes through people. And so if we don't do our part as people in our own circles of influence, how is God going to work? Because we are a big part of that, just as King David was a big part of that. So we get to verse 6. And David's, this is what they say is David's reply. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed and, of course, David is the anointed king. He was there when Samuel poured the oil on his head. And he ran from Saul all those years. You know the story. But now I know the Lord saves. Well, why? Because he delivered him from one battle already. Now they're getting ready to go out and face another. And he's making this statement of trust. He will answer from his holy heaven with saving strength of his right hand. There's no other God that can do that, save with his right hand. 
There is a God that came out of his holy heaven, took upon flesh, became the anointed one of God, the Lord Jesus himself, who went to Calvary's hill to provide salvation for sin. It fits the pattern of the New Testament. But this is what David said. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, and he will answer him from his holy hill. He will answer the anointed one from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. And that should be for every one of us to make the same commitment to Christ. I know. So let's read this together for a moment. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed, and he will answer him from the holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Then the people pick up verse 7, and they start praying again in a sense, and they say, some trust in chariots like Hadad Ezer, 700 of them to be exact, we now know. Some trust in horses like 40,000 of them. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We will man up. We will remember. We will quit like men. We will stand our ground. We will uphold the banner. We are going to go into the battle. They have bowed down and fallen in the first battle they did, but he has but we have risen and stand upright. Save O Lord. Hosanna. It comes from the same phrase. Not Hosanna save now, but it's part of the same root word. But save, Jehovah, save us. They're not asking David to do it. But David is willing to step into the gap and lead the armies forward. But they're still calling on God. They trust in their God. May the king answer when we call. Verse 1 said, may the Lord answer in the day of trouble. Verse 9 says, may the king answer. Well, the king is David. David's the king. But they know that God is providing the salvation, and they're trusting that David will not cut and run, that he is a real man, that he will man up, stand his ground, and do what God has called him to do, come what may. And so they call out, May the king answer us when we call. There's no other God that hears and answers prayers. But the Lord is using everyday folks to accomplish his work. Am I committed to my Savior? Am I serving him and his people? You know, we could rewrite part of that last verse to read this way, to apply to us maybe. May the Lord Jehovah and our brothers and sisters hear us when we call. You know, be the answers to somebody's prayer. They're praying to God, but we are the ones who are asked to be the answers to someone's prayers. God has not changed since David was king. He hasn't changed since Boonesboro either. And he is capable, even though many have died along the way, he's still capable to deliver us out of his trouble. Our trouble. Do you remember the boys when they were thrown in the furnace? Well, just be it known unto you, O king, well, our God is able to deliver us. If he doesn't, oh well. Either way, we're not bending. Job, when he was going through all of his trials, he said, 
Though the Lord slay me, yet I will trust him. Jesus on the hill. Never the will, nevertheless, thy will be done. And that's the call. That's a clear call. May the Lord Jehovah and our brothers and sisters hear us when we call. Last verse. Last phrase. Put that next one up, Bryce. Ah, there it is. May the Lord answer in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. Strangely dim 
As we go from this place, we just ask that you would preserve us in times of trouble, hear our cries, and watch our lives. Help us to be aware of those around us, to love you, love them, serve you, serve them, to be your men and women on the street and in the word and in prayer and wherever we go, that we might be waving the banners that would indicate we belong to you, that those around us would know that when they see us crossing the river like King David, that uh, these people belong to God. Lord, we just ask that you would help us as we go from this place. There's much sorrow and pain around us. Help us to see it and relieve and bring help where we can. We'd ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.